0: The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Praise While some people were speaking about how the temple was adorned with costly stones and votive offerings, Jesus said, All that you see here, the days will come and there will not be left a stone upon another stone that will not be thrown down. Then they asked him, Teacher, when will this happen? And what sign will there be when all these things are about to happen? He answered, See that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time has come. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified, for such things must happen first. But it will not immediately be the end. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be powerful earthquakes, famines, and plagues from place to place. And awesome sights and mighty signs will come from the sky. Before all this happens, however, they will seize and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to prisons. They will have you led before kings and governors because of my name. It will lead to your your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand. For I myself shall give you a wisdom in speaking that all your adversaries will be powerless to resist or refute. You will even be handed over by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But not a hair on your head will be destroyed. By your perseverance, you will secure your lives. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Throughout our lives, we find ourselves preparing for something, whatever it may be. And we are aware of it. And when we're finished pre- the preparation, we are glad that it's over, so that we can begin to live life in a different way. That may happen, for instance, in our education. We are in preparation. We move through a series of steps. It may be then through high school or college or graduate school. We're happy to leave it behind. Oh, we may have some nostalgia for the old days, the good times, our friends. We'll attend class reunions we don't want to go back. We want to move forward. When we're prepared, we want to do something with what we've done. Except, of course, when it comes to the real essence of life. Our whole preparation is supposed to be for the Kingdom of Heaven. That's what we're supposed to be preparing for. Everything we do is supposed to prepare us for that. And yet, we don't want that to be over with, do we? The preparation. We're not quite ready for death or Jesus to come again. Our Lord will come for the second time in a flash of light as he said that he would. That we'd like to put off for as long as we can. I'd like to get out of school but not out of this life even though I've been called to something much greater. Our Lord speaks of that in today's gospel. There are a number of things in this gospel that make it rather confusing. Our Lord speaking about several different events. The one is that the coming of the day of God, which to the Jews meant the vindication of the Jewish people. He's also speaking of his coming at the end of time, as I said, like a flash of lightning. He hasn't come yet. we we'll think it's not going to come. It will come. He comes to us now also, of course, in the reality of the sacraments, particularly in the Eucharist. He's already coming to us in the end times. But he speaks about something else as well, the destruction of Jerusalem. You and I can't imagine this. We can't imagine our city all of a sudden being destroyed by a foreign power. But the Jews had rebelled against the Romans so many times that the Romans had run out of patience. When the Romans ran out of patience, it was very serious business. So they came to Israel and to Judea, and they attacked Jerusalem. Jerusalem, we are told, by the Jewish historian Josephus, was taken stone by stone He tells us that as many as 1,100,000 people were killed. The Romans meant business. Imagine, 1,100,000 people were killed, 97,000 taken into captivity to Rome. To this day, on the Ark of Titus in Rome, there's a seven-branch candlestick as a reminder of that victory. And There was probably a great uh, procession of triumphant victory Which the Romans had once every 50 years, a triumphant procession. But for the Jews, it was the end of the world, or seemed like it. Their city was destroyed. The temple, above all, had been leveled and burned. There's only a wall left. And today, still, the wailing wall in Jerusalem, the pious Jews go to wail over the destruction of the temple, where all the sacrifices came to an end. But of course, by that time, the sacrifices were obsolete the one sacrifice that could actually take away sins and redeem us had been finished. The temple sacrifices had no reason to go on, but the Jews didn't still look back on that. Remember those sacrifices, how they'd lost their sense of the sacred, their place of sacred activity. So sacred was it that, they, as you remember, in the Holy of Holies, the high priest could go in only once a year and only alone to say the holy name on the Feast the Day of Atonement. When he went in, they would tie a rope around his ankle in case he died while he was in there. Because if he died, they couldn't go in to get him. They'd simply have to drag him out. I've said before, we have lost that sense of the sacred, too. We need to get it back to what we're really doing here and what's really happening. I'd like to digress from my usual homily to mention something. In the recent years, Pope Benedict, actually Pope John Paul II, Pope Benedict, even Pope Francis, and... Cardinal Serra, the prefect of the Congregation for the Sacraments, have said, we have got to go back to some of the things that we've lost that we never should have at the time of the Vatican Council. And the thing they have most mentioned is that they believe the priest and the people should be facing the same direction during the Eucharistic prayer and not towards one another. Uh, that's a rather radical concept, isn't it? The priest and people should be facing the same direction. And people will say, you mean the priest should turn his back on us? No. We should be facing the same direction. It's a very different thing. Because the priest is offering a sacrifice. And you and I are drawn up into that sacrifice. We're facing ad deum, God, not versus populum, facing the people. It's okay to face the people, but that's, you know, there's a problem with that. Because we tend to form a circle, as I said, and instead of breaking out of that circle, it becomes all about us or all about me, which was never meant to be. Not at all. Uh, and this idea, I think, is really quite wonderful. It's taken me a while to realize how important it is and how much we've lost. As I said, we're moving into something together. The priest faces the people. That can be wonderful in one sense. It can emphasize the meal nature of it, but the sacrifice is forgotten very often or minimized, and it never should be that way. In fact, Pope Benedict at one point said, If you aren't going to face the same direction, at least put a crucifix on the altar and some candles so you realize you're praying to God and not to one another. You need to realize to to whom the sacrifice is being offered and who it is that's being sacrificed. And again, what you're entering into and where you're going as a people. You're not just facing off one another. Besides which, uh, the priest, you know, the personality of the priest has become so very important once we turned around. Met, people decided whether they were going to go because of whether they liked the priest or didn't like him, whether he was friendly and sacred or whether he was laid back and, you or know, whether he was reverent or, um, and that, whether or not I thought I was getting anything out of it. It had to do with that personality. It was never meant to be that way. The priest's personality shouldn't get in the way at all. Those of us who remember the old Mass, and I'm not talking about the old Mass, I'm talking about the new Mass. Right? But remember the old Mass, those of us who do, the extraordinary form. The personality of the priest didn't mean, wasn't visible at all. If the priest had died in the middle of that, they would have removed the body, a new priest would have come in and finished the Mass, no one would have noticed any difference, in, unless, of course, you happen to like the priest who died. But otherwise, it wouldn't have made any difference. Uh, and it's supposed to be that way in a sense now that the person, the personality, whose personality, mine, isn't supposed to get in the way of what's happening here. Uh, you know, I'll give you another reason for that. The primary reason I said to face the same direction is because we're offering a sacrifice. The sacrifice that Jesus Christ offered, we are offering. It's not just yours or mine, it's his. And we're facing him and we're moving towards him. But no priest... I don't care who they are, whether it be the apostles or St. Augustine or St. Dominic or St. Ignatius or the Curie of ours, wherever holy they may be, no priest in their personality can image the person of Jesus Christ. Every priest, all of us, are given a share in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, his priesthood, unworthy though we are. We become an alter Christus, another Christ. When we act, he acts. When we speak, he speaks in the sacraments. We are acting in persona Christian, in the person of Christ the head. Yes, we are doing that. That's an awesome thing, given our unworthiness. But none of us, as I said, can image the person of Jesus Christ. The church for centuries understood how important it was for us not uh, to attempt, not, not to put in that situation. That's part of it. Also, one woman, there are some parishes who have already started celebrating Mass with, at the Eucharistic prayer. The first part of the Mass is the same as always. We're not talking about going back to the extraordinary form, which I think is wonderful. But we're talking about the new Mass, the Novus Ordo, but at that point, the priest and the people facing the same direction. Uh, one woman said, we're going back to the Middle Ages. I said, no, madam, we're going back a lot farther than that. Uh, we're going back to the beginning. Because in the beginning, the Church celebrated both ways, but very quickly decided... That the priest and the people should face the same direction at the Eucharistic prayer. And one of the reasons for that was that in the early church, worship was always done facing east. And all the great churches of the ancient world were built facing east. Even our new cathedral, by the way, is built facing east. Um, because that was the, we were facing the rising sun, a symbol of the resurrection. And the people and the priest faced the same direction. And then when the churches could no longer, couldn't always be built facing east, there was what was called liturgical east, ad orientem. So we are symbolically facing east, all together doing the same thing. That's a wonderful thought when you think of it. Not just, oh, no, it's, no, it's not just all about us anymore. No, it never was all about us. or am I feeling good? Or, but there's something wonderfully comforting and beautiful about this. And so we enter into this with humility, and awe, but a new kind of joy. Uh, in the early church, they understood this, and I think we have to get back to understanding that again too. You know, um, someone will say, but it doesn't the host face the people, not when he's offering sacrifice. To put it rather bluntly, the host doesn't face the people when he's slaughtering the cattle. Um, only when it comes time. for for the meal, does he turn and face them? And that's true. If you read the the Missal, the Missal still assumes that the priest and the people are facing the same direction. Because it will say the priest now turns and faces the people. Usually we already are. But that's what the Missal says. The priest turns and faces the people at the proper time. When it comes time for us to come and enter in to the, the banquet and eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord. So That's the commandment of the Lord to us. And, of course, so many Catholics, we're told today, no longer believe in the real presence of Christ. Not here. People don't. They no longer believe it's the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ coming to us that we actually receive. But it is. You're no longer Catholic if you cease to believe that. So I have some friends who would say I like this analogy. They'll say... You don't want the bus driver facing you. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, even if he's a nice guy, uh, who's pleasant with, makes you feel good about yourself, even entertaining with a good sense of humor, that's not the point. Eventually, the, eventually the passengers on the bus are going to say, "Enough! That's not what we're paying for you. Turn or, paying you for. It. Turn around and drive the bus." because we're going somewhere, and we want to get there. And there's a sense in which that's very true. Uh, so I don't think we're ready to, to do this completely right now. We're going to begin on Wednesday evenings after the Novena to celebrate that mass ad orientem. Um, as I said, some parishes are already doing it during Advent and Lent, and some parishes do nothing else but. But um, I, I think it might take some time for adjustment. But I think that's important. I think it's important. I forgot to mention this with the last Mass. It's important for the priests, too. That's something I don't think priests thought about. For us to focus not on who we are, we all know who we are, but for him to focus on what he is and what he's doing. That's very important. And you know, I've had requests for this. And you know, most of the requests have come from younger people. Not from my generation, or the generation ahead of me, or the generation behind me, but from younger people—graduate students, college students, high school students—have said to me, "Can't we celebrate Mass ad Orientum sometimes?" And I put it off. Uh, although there's one bishop in the country already who has asked all of his priests to go back to celebrating Mass that way. Uh, as I said, people in high authority would like us to also. So. Um, we're going to do that on Wednesdays, but right now we're going to go enter into that mystery. We're going to, Jesus Christ is going to come to us in his flesh and blood, in his sacrifice. We will be drawn up into that mystery to become radically different people. Uh, and people will know, because of what we're doing here, because of the God who is coming to us and the God towards whom we are moving when we leave here, there is something different, because, as the high priest said about the apostles, you will know them because they have been with Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and rejoicing in your love and mercy for the church throughout the world, that her members will always be prepared for the coming of Christ, now and at the end of time, we pray to the Lord. For all nations of the world, especially our own, and for our politicians, that they too will be aware of the coming of the Lord and of judgment, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all those who are sick and suffering and dying, that in their suffering they may know that they are united to the sufferings of the Lord, preparing for his coming. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have rejected faith, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For greater respect for human life, Especially life in the womb and life at the end. For those who will die today, we pray to the Lord. Lord hear our for an increase in vocations of priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who will, in a radical way, prepare the world for the coming of the Lord. for a greater reverence uh, for that preparation in marriage and a single life, we pray to the Lord. For our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, having spent time in the presence of the risen Lord, they may then be visible signs of the kingdom present and the kingdom yet to come. We pray to the Lord. Lord, For the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster especially those of our parish who are remembered since the founding of the parish in our Book of the Dead here and on our altar. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed and for all of us here, that our lives will be so transformed by the coming of the Lord into them now we will be truly prepared for the kingdom when it does come, when the Lord comes in his final glory. We pray to the Lord. Lord our now we are in the octave, preparing for the Feast of Christ the King. Today, instead of the usual Marian Antiphon, we will sing the Christus Vinces.